Hello, I'm Ricky. And I'm Joe, and this is Season 5, Episode 13 of the Beer and Broadband Podcast, which is slated to come out on October 17th, 2022. And today we're going to start talking about a carbonated mead uh, called Mango Sorbet by Bee Nectar. Uh, it is a um, 6% ABV mead, so closer to a beer or cider and it is mango mead with a hint of black pepper. I don't know if Ricky's had a sip yet. So yeah, I'm I've had a couple. This is oh. actually not bad. Um, I'll I'll say it's a little one note. You know, it's just kind of sweet. Got a little bit of mango. You don't really taste the peppercorn. Um, if the ingredient list on the back is actually reflective of the recipe. It's a very simple mead. It's just honey, yep. water, and then the mango juice. Probably some in, well, maybe not that much in primary. At 6%, you know, there's not a lot of sugar going into this. So maybe they just back sweeten it with mango. It's not bad, though. I mean, it's not complex, but it does taste good. Like, in terms of something I could buy a six-pack of, put it in my fridge, and me and my wife would both drink it, yeah, this is pretty high up on the list. All right, so I I have made a mango mead before, and um, I it's not my favorite. I don't I don't love this one. You know, it's not bad. It's more like a cider. It's a little bit more mangoey than my other mead was, and I think it's because it has more sugar in it. But I do taste the black pepper in it, and I think it's because I know what the other mango mead tastes like versus this uh, if that makes sense maybe i mean they, they even say on the tin you know a, a hint of so it's not a very powerful flavor no it's i'll not. say it, it is it is at the very end there is a little bit of a tingle that you get and that sensation plus this kind of almost earthy flavor that you normally get from honey is generally what i get from black pepper or cardamom uh cardamom's a little bit less and has a little bit more pungent note to it than black pepper generally does. Just in case you taste that. Yeah, I think I think you probably hit on what my biggest critique of it would be. The sweetness from the mango is a very similar sweetness to just the honey that gets left over from the fermentation process. Mm -hmm. And that earthiness from the honey is probably also competing with the peppercorn. So, like, this has an array of ingredients. So, like, if we were to lay out just, like, any meat recipe, got your primary fermentable, your honey, you've got something to add flavor. Here, you know, they put in a fruit juice or a fruit concentrate. And then they did go in and put in spices. So, like, this is not a simple recipe necessarily, you know. It's got a couple layers to it. It's just they're all hitting kind of the same flavor notes. So, like, when you taste it, you know, there's definitely the mango there. But if you told me this was just honey and mango, I'd believe you. You could probably convince me this was a mango cider. It wasn't a meat at all. You know, because you can't really taste the honey on top of the mango. You know, you can easily kind of mix those two flavors together. I think I, think I, I would love to try to make a similar type of cider and a similar type of mead and see if I could um, pick out the difference in notes. I think that 
there is an there is a slight astringency there that you don't get from like just fruit sugars and normal wines um that this has that kind of hints toward but it's it's so so tiny yeah uh, i mean in a taste test you could probably pull it out you know but i'm just not sure like if you poured this in a glass and said here try this mango cider i wouldn't taste it and say no you're crazy this is a meat yeah. yeah you know very true very true i i i mean i agree if they would have said this wasn't a mead i wouldn't i wouldn't know yeah yeah but it's still not, though yeah i mean it's not bad i mean in all honesty i'm gonna keep this can and i'm gonna go buy some <laughs> if i can find them because my wife would drink this and we really struggle to find like what something we can buy a decent volume of and keep in the house and we'll both drink you know yeah very true i mean i i i can i can agree with that i think ultimately uh i probably for six bucks at total wine is what i got this for i don't know one can it, yeah for one can it's like 549 or something like that that's um, that's a little rough yeah, I, I don't know i mean well so you can buy them in a four pack too i think it was i think it would be like 450 per can because i think it was like 18 dollars or something like that uh it's like closer to um you know like it's basically like buy three get one free kind of deal. yeah uh, I, i'm looking I at it yeah i don't know i don't know that I, mean, I i don't know that i buy it yeah Maybe four I'm... pack for 17 bucks that's a little rough yeah i mean i'm not gonna discount that it's well made you know, uh, it's not a, a hit on quality. It is a hit on there's not many things I would drink 12 ounces for, you know, what is this? 12 ounces for, yeah, it's like four or five Roughly bucks four almost. Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking like 40 cents an ounce. That's better than spirits, but, you know, I, that's so... hitting that's hitting levels of like I could buy a nice like not a fancy, but I can buy a nice bottle of wine and hit that like price pounds. Yeah, I mean you can you can buy a nice bottle of wine for less than that. But the here's the thing with this: meads are always more expensive because they the ingredients cost more to make them. Um, but I would not. Total wine is always going to be a bit more expensive, all, anyways. Uh, with yeah. the, like craft beers and stuff like that. Uh, so this is on par with like a normal craft beer that you get, you know, the, uh, the beer that we'll talk about in like a couple of episodes, the KBS, uh, hazelnut beer, I think it is, or no, it's not the hazelnut one. It's a, another one, but anyways, that beer that we're going to talk about in a couple of episodes that costs the same amount that this does. The only reason that I'm kind of like, this is. Uh, it it it's not at the same quality like that one is I I would expect because Founders generally has these really high qualities for beers. I'm willing to pay like six seven dollars for a really good beer. I'm willing to pay six seven dollars for a really good mead. This just isn't quite there yet as far as that goes. It's brewed well. It's fine. It's just more one note, and so I guess that's my criticism of it. It's for the it's the money. It's money per quality. Um, now, if this is your thing, if you like that one note, that mango note, this is great. It does taste a lot like mango, especially if you let it set on your tongue. But I just wouldn't normally, for for the 
I would rather have like a more complex cider. You know what I'm saying? Or a more complex mead for that kind of cost. Yeah, I get you. I'm looking at their website and they, they do have a couple other meads in this same line that is just kind of like one fruit. Um, mm-hmm. But they have a couple that are a little bit more adventurous. They got one called the uh, the Black Fane. That's blackberry, oh. clove, and orange zest. That has a chance to be maybe a little bit more uh, multidimensional. Yeah, they had that at Total Wine. So maybe next time I'll pick that up. Yeah. But overall, yeah, I mean, it's tasty. Yep. We can argue about whether or not we pay for it for the price. But if you showed up at a party and this was there, it's a safe bet. Yeah, yeah. Somebody yeah, will like totally, it. Totally drink it. Totally, totally get it. Uh, it's a, If it's your thing, if you like mango a whole lot, this is the thing to get. It really does taste like mango. So they did a good job of keeping those notes in there. Speaking of cost, um, let's talk about inflation. Have you have you seen how the Fed is and some other economists are talking about this round of inflation that we're going through um, versus like years past? Yeah, uh, it's all spin. You know, it inflation's real bad right now. There's no real way to cut it differently. You know, I think it was it's like seventies or eighties. They redefined inflation the first time, took a bunch of stuff out. But since we've started hitting really heavy inflation here in the last year or two, they're kind of doing the same thing. They're playing around with the formulas to try and make the number look a little bit better. But, I mean, they're not talking about it. I think that's probably the crux of what you're getting at. It's real easy to walk in and say, hey, look, inflation's down this month on this you know, latest report. But, you know, we also changed the definition a little bit. They've reweighted yeah. some of the stuff. And now, look, it's 0.1 lower. It's, like it's they, capping it, off, guys. Instead of it actually, like, get going lower, they took things out like groceries in one report, you know. we're just Yeah, you're talking about core inflation. inflation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's one of the things they've also kind of done is bounce around. So there's kind of like the traditional inflation index, which is all formulated. You know, they basically weigh certain things more or less. So, you know, housing's included. Pretty much everything's included in terms of, like, what you need to survive. Food, energy, all that stuff. And they play around a little bit with what the source of their number is, like the average home price. That was when inflation first started getting kind of marked up. And they're like, oh, homes are only up, you know, a couple percent. And people are like, what are you talking about? Housing gone up 25% where I live. So where are you getting your housing numbers? Yeah, we don't really get to see that. But yeah, I did see that. And kind of the most recent spin is some people were reporting core inflation instead of the normal inflation, which made it look like inflation went down a lot. Because I think core inflation was only 6.6. Well, last month it was 6.3. So like inflation still went up. You're just switching between the different numbers trying to act like they're all the same because the difference with core inflation is that takes out what they consider the most volatile stuff, which is like food, energy, some other commodities, Yeah, you know? So like, it's supposed to just be like housing and other stuff like that. That's supposed to be much more stable. So it's a better metric, but I mean, core inflation's hit the highest it's been, I think since the eighties. 
it was something yeah. like that. I'm probably not right with the exact uh, number there, but it's it's been a long time. Certainly the highest in the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, exactly. And and here's my problem with this, you know, from like um, an ethics kind of standpoint. It, it, when you manipulate numbers and statistics like that, you're you're not benefiting the people that you're there to serve. Um, and the so I, I'll give an example from a past career that I had when I was a law enforcement officer. Um, they in, in the the town and state that I um, worked in, the law for domestic violence was changed, and they made it so that the law only took into account people who were of opposite sex that cohabitated. So you could only cohabitate and be the victim of a domestic violence if you were of the opposite sex of the person that was your abuser and you weren't like related to them, you know, uh, like through blood, I guess, whatever. So they took like all this stuff out, like, um, you know, you, your children can't be victims of domestic violence, or uh, if you're in the same-sex relationship, you can't be the victim of domestic violence. Before, you know, people got those sorts of um, benefits if they were victims. Now that, you know, the state didn't have to pay that stuff, the city didn't have to pay that stuff. And also, what what that did was it made the, it made it look like there was this huge drop in domestic violence, when really, if you took like domestic violence plus assault and battery, which is what all those other things turned into, uh, they actually had went up. They didn't solve the problem. They just uh, redefined what the problem was to be able to make it look better for their constituency so that they could put that on their platform for when they tried to get reelected. And I hate stuff like that. I hated it then. I hate it now. It's unethical. It's not right. And... You know, while there's like there's a lot of things that come along in these patterns when we talk about stuff, but we're in a really bad place where we need as a group of people to stand up, especially against corporations who are driving a lot of these um, things that cause inflation to go up because they're reporting record profits and all this other stuff. So either they're misreporting their profits or they're actually using inflation as an excuse, just like they use, you know, shortages a couple of years ago as an excuse to drive up prices, which is, you know, causing us to have, you know, these, and, and there's other things like some scarcity of goods and things like that, that are naturally going to cause some inflation. So it's not, it's it's not like there may not be a warrant for the inflation, but if you're not reporting it correctly, then people can't actually get the tools that they need to be able to deal with the stuff. In yeah, way. I 100% agree with that. That's really what I think the problem is here. You know, I know it's an election year. There's always going to be political spin on everything. The thing that gets me the most is, you know, there's a very worrying correlation between how something is being presented and how people consume media. I think we talked about this in an episode of a year or two ago, mm-hmm. that it's something like 60 or 70% of people, at least at that time, maybe worse now, um, would share like an article with friends. They hadn't read the article. They kind of read the headline. 
And, you know, I know a couple of years before that, this would probably be like 2017, 2018, there was um, a thing that came out that showed that people that are reading news articles are only getting average about halfway through. So, you Mm -hmm. know, so like, so when people throw in these like headlines, like, oh, inflation down this month, this has tapered, this yada yada, like that doesn't really tell people anything if they're not reading far enough in the article for you to say, you know, oh, last month it was point, uh, reported at like 8.3, or it was 8.4, and this month it's 8.3. You know, it went 0.1 down for the total inflation, or inflation up 0.3 from last month. Or, you know, even, you know, a lot of, because the inflation started to happen last year, um, what's a much more valuable metric to look at is the two-year inflation than the one-year inflation. Because you can see one-year inflation drop, but the two-year inflation is still up. Because last year, when inflation started spiking, you know, we had a couple months where it already had hit 6%. Yep. You know? So I get that that's a lot of information to distill into a headline. You know, you're not going to be able to teach everyone everything they need to know about securing their financial future in a headline. But you can also write headlines that don't scream, oh, inflation is down, you know, this thing is working. Because those people then don't, don't know anything you know like i was talking to my mother about this she's had no idea any of this stuff was going on other than like you know groceries were getting a bit more expensive that was it um you know and that's that's kind of worrying because she does consume a lot of media she's on her facebooks and stuff like that and that's not making it to them and especially for something like inflation that's been as high up as it has you know i think maybe we talked about before that they'd already redefined recession so like we're already in a recession based on the definition we've used for the last like 20 or 30 years. They redefined it, but only in America. That was like a, a big Wikipedia fight as people kept trying to go change the Wikipedia article and they eventually settled on. America has decided to change the definition. The rest of the world still uses the same yep. one they've always used. Um, but I mean, even by the new definition, we're about to be in a recession again. So, you know, people have a lot at risk when things like that happen. You know, humans, just like regular day-to-day people, are going to be affected by what's happening in the world. And if you're not being honest with them about what's happening, how can you expect them to be okay? You know? Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's the biggest push. I I mean, I know a lot of that battle is also with the people. You know, you got to do a little bit better than just reading the headline of a news article. But I think there's also a lot to be said about the media is getting put in front of them. You watch all these like news sites and they're like, oh, yeah, things are down. But we've got, you know, economists, whoever this is, and he's here to tell us that everything is going to be OK. You know, and you find out he runs some investment firm and doesn't want people to take their money out. You know, yep. but realistically, there, there's not two sides to that argument anymore. There's this is what the report said. Let's bring in an expert who has a vested interest in you believing one thing and we'll let them talk to you for two minutes and then we'll you know, pretend the entire world agrees with what that person said. Yep. And, and I mean, it, reporting has not always been ethical. Uh, there's, there's been times in the past, but reporters make it out like, you know, there's an ethics to what they do. And when they, I mean, you kill your faith in media if they can't be representational of the truth. 
right? Yeah, and, and that problem's been going on for a while. Yeah. I remember that was one of the really big things um, in 2016. Because I follow, I won't say all forms of politics, but I at least kind of follow the major, you know, elections, and I follow the Senate and Congress and all that. In 2016, when one of the, the news sites that I like to follow for election news, 538, was doing their election coverage, they said that was the first year that they were like hesitant to tell people they were with the media because this kind of distrust of the media had gotten so bad, people wouldn't talk to them, like wouldn't give their opinions, wouldn't like, you know, basically be willing to share their perspective for their articles if they knew they were affiliated with the news. Mm -hmm. And that was eight years ago. I can certainly say it doesn't feel like that's gotten any better. Like, I feel like that has gotten worse over time. And so I think, I think you're hundred percent right. At some level, there are certain groups of people that just don't really trust mainstream media anymore. And, and you know, that's so. probably not great. I mean, yeah, I'm not saying they're wrong to do that, but I'm saying that does lead to problems. You know, when you can't trust you know, when you can't trust news and information being shared, then what does that leave you with? You know, at, at some point. The, you know, what has, I think, really been the great benefit of the last hundred years, the you know, freedom of information around people, that information is no longer trusted, then, you know, how are we, how are we keeping our, our lives in perspective with the rest of the world? You know, like, how can I be an informed person and make informed decisions in my life if I can't trust the most common sources of information? Yeah, and and especially when you have them fighting against one another. Oh yeah, polarized. Yeah, it just it you you can't you can't you you can't trust. And then I mean you shouldn't trust anyways. But you you can't even find information that gives you a positive or uh, positive is probably not the right word. An informed set of information. You can't find an informed set of information that can give you enough to really educate yourself. Yeah, and what I'll, you know, I'll push back on one point that you, you can't trust, you shouldn't trust. I think that's what we lost. And I think that was something that was incredibly valuable because you know, there was a time, I mean, I was alive for it, that if you went and you got information off of an academic source or a government source, or something like that. There was a set of standards perceived to be in place yes. that could tell you, okay, this is authoritatively correct information. So when I want to sit down and I want to learn about, you know, biology or chemistry or something like that, and it uh, a study got published from this place, I know that this is well-researched and accurate information. Because a person, the layperson trying to educate themselves, does not have the like experience and background of knowledge to make those decisions on their own. That's the whole point of why you have people who specialize in types of information so that they can, you know, discover what they discover and share it with everybody else. And we, I feel like we've lost that ability to openly share because enough information has been like pushed out and then shown to be false or shown to be spun or something like that. That you read some of these sources now and you're like, okay, but 
is that actually true? Like this thing I'm reading about this thing that's happening somewhere else in the world, is that actually a non-biased opinion? Or is, do you just want me to think that's what's happening somewhere because that fits whatever the agenda for your organization is? Exactly. And, and I, I think, well, I know like when you, when you were saying like, I'm going to push back on that point, the, the we're saying the same thing. We uh, are. Yeah. yeah. It was just yeah, that one yeah, little nitpick yeah. on the word that you can't trust. And I think, well, I think you should be able to trust, but just right now something has happened in the world that, you know, there's people posting quote unquote trustworthy information, but they're just not trustworthy people. Yeah, let, let me define what I meant by that. You should be able to look at a pattern of behavior that a source has given you and the credentials of a source and be able to say that is a source that I can believe is telling me information that is correct. When I say that that uh, you shouldn't be able to trust, what I, what I mean is you shouldn't just be able to, without verifying that information, just say, okay, that is you know, the source. You don't have to be an expert, but you should be able to do some research into their qualifications and stuff like that and it not fall apart. And right now that's not the situation that we're in. Um, yeah. You might you might have some qualifications, but either someone because they want to or feel like they need to will uh, just kind of tear apart those um, you know arguments and and credentials that people have and you don't know then that that standard is true i mean imagine what would happen and some people do this right if uh, a group of people say you know the standard for copper cabling in a building is not tr is is not something that you can believe and these are the reasons that you can't do that and whether that is factual or not they throw that out there as it's fact and they'd like give themselves a set of false credentials. And then because of the way that the media, you know, represents that stuff, they just spout that back out there. The, the damage that that would do is that you would either get stuff that is incorrectly wired and people will start getting electrocuted or, you know, you get, uh, you know, like bad wiring uh, that causes like harm to businesses and stuff like that. So like you can harm things on like many different levels by doing this sort of shoddy workmanship. So, so that, that's what I'm like meant by you can't like you can't trust. It's not that you shouldn't be able to find out this information. It's that now you can't do that because so many people are throwing stuff back and forth and just invalidating each other over and over yeah, and over again. I get you. And I think there has been a shift to that area, you know. Investigative journalism really as a thing has has kind of gone away where it used to be, hey, you know, we're trying to find the answer to something. We're going to go interview as many people as we can and we're going to try and find the commonalities for you and we're going to try and present to you a non-biased view of whatever topic it is. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, I think a lot of media is more, hey, this is a topic people are interested in. We're going to bring somebody in to talk about it. This is their opinion on it. And so that level of, hey, you know, are we going to do the dig in and try and find the truth? Or are we just being a mouthpiece that you can go find your own truth? That has really shifted. And the problem with that second one is people just don't consume media that way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
Um, nobody is going to five or six websites. At least the average person isn't. I mean, certainly some people do. But the average person is not going to eight, ten different, you know, news sites and checking out eight or ten different interviews to see what's in common. I mean, frankly, it's it's incredibly, um, you know, obvious. If you, if you go through, like, a bunch of different websites, that generally one or two news places will do an interview. And then those same interviews will get rehosted to a bunch of different sites. You can go read, you know, New York Times and, you know, Wall Street Journal, and you could go get the Washington Post. And they're all like, oh, man, these are all, like, in consensus. And then you find out they're all just writing different summaries of the same interview. One of the same interview, did. yep. You exactly. know, so that commonality is not even there. So, you know, if you're even if you're one of the better people, you're reading at least halfway through the article. Maybe you never get to the bottom where it's like, this is our excerpt from an interview from this source. Right. You know, and realize it's all the same interview. So, you know, there is definitely, I think, some problems there. I think, you know, there's still tons of information available in the world. But whereas 20, 30 years ago, I think people were much more skeptical about, you know, don't trust those, you know, non-trusted sources. Trust these sources. Those trusted sources aren't really trustworthy anymore. And now you find tons of people everywhere who still kind of have that trust in media, just different media, you know. This is where the, I think the, the world of people getting their news from Facebook, you know, causing yeah. problems of there's still this expectation of trust that like this person published an article. So it has to be true. But that, that new site over there, that new site lies. This new site I have, they tell the truth. But exactly. now, you know, who really is telling the truth anymore? You can't, you can't tell for the most part. I know I'm rambling at this point, so you can cut me uh, off. No, it's, it's, well, I'm not cutting you off. I, th I think it's an interesting topic, and it, it's very uh, it 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 does mean that we're going to stop the we're not going to do the next two topics. We'll we'll do, we'll put them in like later episodes. But the I I think that it's very prescient to the topic that we started out with, which is is redefining inflation okay? And the fact of the matter is that that makes the sources that define inflation untrustworthy, you know, like, yeah. it, th does this really need to happen? Is this, is this necessary? Should we question that? And then, you know, a lot of this is made up anyways. It's not necessarily a like legitimate thing. It works just like the value of money because we all believe it has value. Right. Yeah. You know, there's no like, um, nothing that's that inherently and intrinsically just by it existing makes it have value right uh yes. it's it's because we believe it so this is the same sort of thing because we believe these things are true they actually have power over us because we believe that inflation is a thing that's necessary it it becomes a thing that's necessary um you know and, and so on and so forth like that anyways and I, I think we got our point across. <laughs> so I'm going to call it, I'm going to call it the end of the episode. So this has been season five, episode 13 of the beer and broadband podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, would love to hear some feedback about what you think about like redefining inflation and uh, you know, economics, especially in America. 
Um, but otherwise, thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.